0: Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for his purpose and his kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. I want to read some scripture really quickly in my quiet time this morning. uh, I just noticed this, is that Jesus was going into this town called Nain in and, um, and, um, Luke chapter seven. It says, it says, "'As he was going to the town, "'he went to a town, "'his disciples and a large crowd were with him. "'As he approached the town gate, "'a dead person was being carried out. "'The only son of his mother, "'and she was a widow. "'And a large crowd from the town was with her. "'When the Lord saw her, "'his heart went out to her. "'And he said, don't cry.'" Then he went up and touched the beer that they were carrying him on, and the uh, the bearers stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. That was my quiet time this morning. And I thought, you know, one thing that the Lord did is when he sent his son, he sent him into a family, and he gave Jesus a mother. And if you ever read this, the Christmas story, at the very end of the Christmas story, after it's all happened, the, the after they've all come, they leave, and it says, "It says Mary, Jesus' mother, treasured these things in her hearts. And so I want to thank you if you're a mom in this room, and we know how sacrificial you are. And also, I want to pray over us, and I want to pray over Shay before she teaches, and um I want to, I know that some of us in this room, like holidays and times like this, they bring up sadness, is that maybe this is our first time without our mother, or maybe we have a child that's, that's away or gone. I know that even things like this can make us sad. So I want to pray over Shay and thank her for teaching this morning and pray over the mothers in this room. So if you would pray with me, Lord, we love you. And we thank you for our moms. We thank you for the women in our lives that we are born into, the women in our lives that have adopted us, the women in our lives that have served as spiritual mothers, God. And we just praise you for that. Lord, I pray a blessing over the moms in this room. Lord, whether this is a moment of celebration and being loved or a moment of sadness and sorrow. uh, Lord, we thank you that um, even as you're walking into a town and you see a mother that's brokenhearted, Lord, that you look at her, and you see how she's brokenhearted, and you give her some back to her. God, I thank you for that, Jesus. I pray over Shay Uh She is an amazing person that I am so grateful to even know, much less get to share life with. I pray that you use her this morning, that you speak through her, God, and that, that you soften our hearts. We pray these things in your name. Amen.
1: Good morning. Um, I am not used to holding this microphone the whole time, so just bear with me if I drop it or whatnot. There is gonna be probably some foul that happens. Um, But this morning, we are finishing up the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we usually have started with a letter, and today is gonna be no different. I am gonna share with you a letter from a special person in our family. Jake and I sponsor a little girl in Nicaragua. Her name is Alejandra, and we have a picture. I um, I got to visit Alejandra a year and a half ago, so this is the last time that I saw her. She is now in fifth grade. Um, And through our sponsorship, we just support her going to school, but I've been really lucky to be able to go to Nicaragua, to visit her, to spend time with her. And so we've developed a special relationship over the years. But my relationship with her actually started long ago. When Jake and I went to Nicaragua for the first time, we actually met her father. He was a foreman on our construction project, and we instantly grew a friendship with him And so over the years, as we have gone back to Nicaragua, we've gotten to kind of grow up with him. We watched him fall in love. We watched him get married. We watched him build his first house. We watched him have a baby and go through different jobs, have another baby. And so when Alejandra was up for sponsorship, we were elated to be able to just support not only her, but also his family. So this letter that I'm going to read to you this morning, she wrote at Christmas time, and we just got it this month. She says, Hello, Toman family. I hope you all are doing well with health, you and all your loved ones. This year has been good besides the problem with COVID-19. I like to play tag, baseball, football, and basketball, and I love spend time with my little brother and my parents. I like to go to the park. I love pizza, the movie theater, and to the pier. My favorite subjects are Spanish, physical education, and English. Wish you a Merry Christmas with love. Alejandra Margarita Seguira Delgado. Now, I chose this letter to, to share with you this morning because this letter is very special to us, as we will only get one letter from her this year. And this letter traveled a great journey to get into our hands. Nicaragua does not have a good mailing system, especially in the rural parts where she lives. And so someone from Indiana, where this ministry headquarters lives, traveled to Nicaragua to do work, initiated this letter, had it translated so that we could read the letter in English, flew back home to Indiana, and then mailed them to us. This letter is precious because there were a lot of hands and work that went into delivering it to us. That is the same for the letter that we are reading in 1 Thessalonians. This was a letter that Paul wrote, but before it got to the thessalonian people it had to travel a distance there had to be a courier someone had to go and hand deliver this letter and then if you just think about it it must have been a special letter to these people because it was preserved it was saved and it it stood the test of time to be published in this bible so that we could read it today it is special So today, we're going to be finishing up this last chapter, um, chapter five. But before we do that, I'm going to just remind you of last week a little bit and where we left off, because actually where chapter five picks up, it's a continuation of last week's section. So last week, Jake ended chapter four in talking about the hope of the resurrection And the last line, chapter 4, verse 18 says, so comfort and encourage each other with these words. Comfort and encourage each other. What I want you to take away from that is that it's positive. Paul is not talking about Jesus's return to provoke fear. He's trying to encourage them that this is a positive thing. Uh, The people of Thessalonians, They were curious about what happened to their friends when they passed away, especially their fellow believers. And so Paul is trying to explain to them that we have hope in Christ that when Jesus returns, both the ones who have passed before and the ones living will reunite and we will all stand before Christ. He's trying to let them know that this truth should be shared with others, should be used to comfort others who are grieving. So that's where we pick up in chapter five. Verse one, he says, I really don't need to write to you about how and when this will all happen, dear brothers and sisters. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying all is well, everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall upon them as suddenly as a woman's birth pains begin when her child is about to be born and there is no escape. Now, first of all, I love how Paul is just very direct. He's just like, I don't need to tell you this, but I am. And that tells us that he's pretty comfortable with these people. He doesn't have to be formal. He can say directly, we've talked about this. I'm just going to remind you of a conversation that we had when I was with you before. Okay, and then he is just again trying to remind them that Jesus' return is coming. And it could be like a thief in the night. And it could also be like a woman going into labor. Now, this imagery is pretty vivid. And both things are kind of frightening. So, again, I reminded you, this is supposed to be encouragement and I'm gonna tell you why. First, let's look at a thief in the night. You can all close your eyes and you can think about what that might be like if you're in your bed and you are sound asleep and you wake up abruptly to a window crashing or the turn of a lock, right? That's pretty terrifying. You are caught off guard you feel insecure. You find yourself feeling in danger. You know, you don't know what is about to happen, but this is all negative. And you also need to recognize that thieves come to steal, they come to take away. On the flip side, he's also painting this picture that Jesus' return is like a woman. Going into labor. Now, that's still a frightening experience for any of you who've done that. It's still frightening, but it's also exciting. You have been anticipating this. Surely you're not unaware because you have a bulging belly. There are pains and movements that have led you to believe that this is coming. Now, I did, I did read that there was a woman who was on her way to Honolulu and had a baby mid-flight at 29 weeks, didn't know she was pregnant at all. I mean, I did that flight not too long ago. I can't even imagine being on an airplane and giving birth. But in all that, the Lord was good, and there were neonatal nurses and a doctor who delivered this baby. So, I mean... The Lord was prepared, needless to say. But if you think about having a baby, it's a positive experience. People come to your aid. They come to comfort you. They come to help you deliver this baby. They come to encourage you in this process. And at the end, you gain something. Nothing is taken away from you, but instead, you receive something in the end. It's a positive experience. Now, I never had that moment. It's time to go to the hospital. And I've had three kids, but all of them ended up being induced. With our oldest, Sloan, I was teaching and I didn't know what to expect. And my doctor kept telling me, any day now, any day now you're gonna have this baby. So my long-term sub came And she started shadowing me, and that baby didn't come. So she was losing work, and I said, you just need to go, and you're prepared, so when it actually does happen, we'll be fine. But it didn't happen. And at the same time, my principal had made me decide when I was gonna return. So now the the clock was ticking, and I was gonna lose my time at home. And so I was like, nope, we're just scheduling this thing and moving on, (laughs) So I was induced with her and then with Keller. Um, We were living with my parents because we were in between homes and my first delivery had happened so fast. My doctor said, Shay, you are 45 minutes away from the hospital. I'm just afraid you're not gonna make it. I'm really afraid you're not gonna make it. This baby is big. I I think he's gonna come early. And I've said, fair enough. I wanna make it. I want to make it to the hospital. Let's schedule this thing. So then when Barrett came around, I was like, this is it. I'm having no more children. This is my moment. If, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen now. I want that moment. It's, it's time to go to the hospital. But around the time that I was nearing the end of my pregnancy, I had a friend at church who had her third baby, And she said, Shay, it was awful. We barely made it to the hospital. There was no time for drugs. It was terrible. And I said, oh my gosh, maybe I need to reconsider. Maybe I need to reconsider my plan. (laughs) And then another family at our church who were actually grandparents, they said, well, we had an interesting weekend. I delivered my grandbaby on the bathroom floor because my daughter could not make it to the hospital. Her husband was on the phone getting information about how this was all supposed to happen, so I just had to get in there, and I thought, that's it, that's it, I'm done. We are scheduling this thing. I cannot have my dad, nor my husband for that fact, delivering my baby. It was sold. But I had a good friend who is actually here this morning. And in the midst of all those pregnancies, I had a good friend and I got to walk with her through her pregnancy. And near the end of her pregnancy, I got a phone call and her husband said, Shay, the baby's coming early. Our parents are in Amarillo. They're not going to make it. Can you come and stay with our daughter because we got to get to the hospital? Y'all, I was so excited. I mean, I thought it was my own baby. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Yes, of course I'll come. I took that on. Like, it was my moment. It, it, was, it came out as a surprise, but I knew that it was going to happen at some point. It was so exciting that I felt like it was happening to me. I think that this is what the Lord wants us to experience when he returns. For people that don't know Jesus, it's gonna be like a thief in the night. They're gonna be caught off guard. They're gonna feel insecure. They're going to feel maybe even in danger. It's gonna be frightening. But for those of us who know Jesus It will be initially a surprise, but you will know when it is happening because you are prepared. You will recognize what is happening when it is happening. It will feel like this excited anticipation and not a moment of fear. So Paul is trying to remind them this is positive. And he goes on in verse 4. He says, "'But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters.'" and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and day. We don't belong to darkness and night, so be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and sober. Night is the time for sleep and the time when people get drunk. <clears throat> now, I, I read that, and I'm a little confused. Is night bad? Is sleep bad? I sure hope not, because I love to sleep. They, my family knows, like, if you want to treat mom, let her sleep in. Jake knows he can score points with me if he just takes the kids in the morning and lets me sleep in. I'm going to be so much happier. But he's not saying those things. This is actually more imagery. Uh, Brings me back to my sophomore English class, archetypes. If you studied that at one point, then you know that archetypes are recurring themes in literature. And we most see them in the form of different kinds of characters. The hero, the damsel, the villain. If you're a Star Wars fan, they're all over Star Wars. You don't even have to watch Star Wars to know that Darth Vader is the villain because they created him that way. His costume is ominous. He's in full dark garb. They have given him a cape so that he, he looks even more of a bigger presence. They've put a mask on him so his face is guarded. He has a red lightsaber resembling a fire. I mean, everything about him is evil. In the Bible, we see archetypes that are more symbolic. And in this particular passage, He's talking about light and darkness, good and evil, with the terms day and night. Night, we already talked about, was when the thief comes because they want to catch you off guard. There's that saying, nothing good happens after dark, because in the daytime, you're busy, you're alert. You're preoccupied, you're working, you're at school, you are productive. At night, you are idle. That's your free time. It is time when you're more likely to sin, like drunkenness that Paul points out in this passage. It is also the time that you go to sleep. But what he's trying to say is like sleep, you're not awake, you're not alert. And again, he's reminding them that the Lord is coming and he's encouraging them to stay alert, to be on guard for that. So he's not telling them that sleep is bad. He's telling them to don't be like you are when you're asleep. Don't be unaware. Stay on guard. And that means staying in the light. God is referred to as the light all over the Bible. In fact, one of his I am statements, John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness because you will have the light that leads to light. He's saying, stay in the light, continue to follow Jesus. And then you won't be stumbling around in the dark. You won't be caught off guard when he returns. Keep following Jesus so that his return doesn't feel like a thief in the night, but it feels like this excited, anticipated arrival. Verse eight, but let us who live in the light think clearly, protected by the body armor of faith, love, wearing as a helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God decided to save us through the Lord, our Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. He died for us so that we can live with him forever, whether we are dead or alive at the time of his return. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Paul's reminding them that even in the light, we're gonna face darkness. We live in a sinful world. We are not going to be immune from facing evil, facing pain, facing trials, but we are equipped. And so here he's referencing the armor of God, which is another piece of scripture that has, it's full of imagery. In Ephesians six thirteen through 17, he says, "'Use every piece of God's armor "'to resist the enemy in the time of evil, "'so that after the battles, you will still be standing firm. "'Stand your ground, putting on the sturdy belt of truth "'and the body armor of God's righteousness. "'For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news, "'so that you will be fully prepared.'" In every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This mental image helps us think about how we are equipped. It is saying that the enemy is real, but God's provided us supernatural powers in this army of truth, righteousness peace faith salvation and the spirit and this picture is amazing because if you think about how you have a sword of the spirit and you have peace as your shoes and you have a shield of faith you kind of feel empowered you can you can mentally Think about all those things being within you and it gives you confidence. And so Paul is trying to remind them, it is okay. You are going to face darkness. You are going to face trials, but you are equipped to handle them. The next section of his letter is much different. He switches from talking in pictures to saying directly what he wants to say. He's narrowing down to the end of his letters, and here he's giving the final reminders. He gives straight-to-the-point sentences. He is often using short sentences because he's just trying to give them all the last-minute things that he wants to say in this letter. And I think about, like, Jake and I are going to be taking Sloan to camp pretty soon, shortly after school ends. And we will say goodbye, and we will hug and kiss her. And then we'll be saying, Sloan, don't forget to brush your teeth. Remember all that dental work? you got to brush those teeth, girl. Don't forget your sunscreen. You don't want to end up with the sad sunburn. You know, we're going to tell her, don't spend all your time. you got to rest. You don't want to wear—you know, we are going to be telling her all those last-minute things that we want her to remember right as we're leaving— So that's where Paul is in this letter. This is his final advice to them. And we're just gonna go line by line because they're really easy. Verse 12 says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and warn against all that is wrong. In Thessalonica, they had elders and deacons that were organized to help facilitate and, and um, run the church. And so he's saying, support them, encourage them, pray for them, but work with them. In 13, he says, think highly of them and give them your wholehearted love because of their work and remember to live peaceably with each other. He's reminding them that conflict makes their job harder, it's counterproductive to the church. It's counterproductive to the gospel being spread. It, it breaks the unity that they have created. And so he's reminding them to be at peace with one another. Verse 14, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. Essentially, he's saying, Love each other. There's going to be people who are lazy. There are going to be people who are weak. There are going to be people who frustrate you and need your patience. So he's just reminding me that there's all sorts of people out there. There's all sorts of people within your body, and you are going to need to treat them differently. The weak couldn't may not be just physically weak. That may be those that are single moms or young children, um, People who are lazy, I mean, we all have various levels of laziness. So he's just reminding them to care for one another. Verse 15, see that no one pays evil for evil, but always try to to do good to each other and to everyone else. Jake and I led a trip to Nicaragua on our 10-year anniversary. And we eagerly said yes to that. Because, number one, we were getting to go with an awesome group of people. We were getting to go to a place where we were going to be reunited with friends that we hadn't seen. And it was the first time for us to get to lead a trip together. And so we were really excited about this opportunity. And knowing that it was our 10-year anniversary, we decided to teach together for the first time. And so we taught at a church service, and again, because it's our anniversary, we decided, let's talk about marriage. Why not? Let's talk about some of the lessons that we've learned. Let's share some of the experiences that we've had. And the people in Nicaragua that we were working with were so excited because no one really does that. That's not a topic that they talk about vocally to the church at large, and so they were really excited about that. So Jake and I spoke, and we spoke about this particular scripture specifically. Jake and I um, have struggled with communication, believe it or not, and so this scripture kind of spoke to us. You know, I will say something to push Jake's button, and he'll say something else, and you know, it'll be amplified just a little bit. And then I'll attack again because I'm not going to be silent. And he'll go again. And it just, it's a cycle. And it just goes over and over. And if I'm honest, the volume does too, right? You get a little bit louder and a little bit louder until finally someone has to stop But that particular type of conflict is not reserved for just married couples. All people experience conflict. I fought that way with my siblings, and then I fight that way with my daughter. My daughter fights that way with her brothers. I mean, it's not reserved for family either. Sometimes we find ourselves in conflict with friends, beloved people. And he's just saying, break the cycle. Don't pay evil for evil. That doesn't have to be even something that's spoken, but it could be an act. But he's saying, don't even do that. Don't enter into that cycle. Pay good. Pay evil. Pay evil with good. 16 says, always be joyful, keep on praying, no matter what happens, always be thankful, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. These are some of the shortest pieces of scripture. Um, Be joyful, keep praying, always be thankful. Those things go against our nature because Paul's saying to do them in every circumstance, whether you feel like it or not. But He's also saying that if you take on that attitude, it gets easier. Your perspective changes. You want to look for the good. You want to see the reasons to be thankful. You rely, You come to rely on praying to the Lord in circumstances um, that you find yourself needing hope and encouragement and direction. And so he's saying, do this in all circumstances. Verse 19, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Stifle means to restrain, to suffocate, to hold back. He's reminding them that the Holy Spirit is real. He's alive. He's present. And that they should acknowledge that as a part of the Trinity, as a part of this relationship with Christ but he's also reminding them that they've all been given spiritual gifts and those should not be stifled either. The Lord has given each of you gifts to be utilized for your benefit and for his. And when you don't use them, then you're not reaching your full potential, so to speak. There are people who need to see your gifts executed. And so he's just reminding them Use your gifts. Rely on the spirit within you and use the spiritual gifts that the Lord has given you. Verse 20, do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Prophecy is a gift. It's one of the spiritual gifts. But in that time, especially, there were a lot of people who claimed to be a prophet, who claimed to speak prophecy. And so he's reminding them that prophecy is real, but you shouldn't believe everything that you hear. You should also not count it as a lie. Take what people say and test it against the word of God. Verse 22, keep away from every kind of evil. I mean, I I listen to that and I think, it's like me saying to my children as they run along, be careful. I know that they're not gonna knowingly walk into danger. It makes me feel good to say, be careful. But I hope that they're also considering caution. If they're entering into a circumstance where I think I should say that, then there must be a reason that they should be cautious. I want them to keep that in the forefront of their mind. And Paul is kind of saying that too. He's saying like, look, avoidance is a good way to just prevent yourself from entering into evil. Just avoid it altogether if you can, and then you'll save yourself a little bit. This whole section of scripture is encouragement. And people look to these verses as ways that we can encourage others. So if you end up looking back on this scripture and reading it for yourself, know that, that these passages are ways that we can encourage one another. And that's ultimately what Paul is trying to say. And the last section of chapter 5 is his final greeting. This is the salutation part of the letter. This is where he's winding down. If we were writing a letter, this would be, I love you, I can't wait to see you again, sincerely, Shay. This is when you are just leaving your affections and signing your name. So Paul says, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit And soul and body be kept blameless until the day when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God who calls you is faithful. He will do this. He sections out talking about your spirit, your soul, your body, but he's really referring to you as a whole person. He wants to be involved in your whole life. God does not want to be in a compartment. He doesn't want to be in a special place where you go only when you feel about it or you you think about it. The Lord wants to be in your whole self. And so Paul's reminding them that the Lord wants to be involved in all areas of your life, physically, mentally, emotionally, the good, the bad, the ugly, the pretty. And then he says he can handle it. There's nothing that you need to hide from God because he can handle it all. 25, dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. He's asking, Paul is asking for prayer. He is on a mission himself and he's saying, I want your support. I need your support. I love you. I encouraged you, and I need this encouragement from you as well because the same things that you are trying to do in your community, I am trying to share with other people. So please pray for me. Pray for the people that are with me on this journey. 26, greet all brothers and sisters in Christian love. Again, It doesn't matter what they've done, if they're lazy or weak or frustrating. Jesus has called us to love one another, and Paul is reminding them of that. I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all brothers and sisters. The people of Thessalonica were a new church. They had experienced persecution, and so Paul wanted to encourage them strongly. He wanted this letter to be read to everyone, which meant that it would have needed to be read publicly because there was only one copy of it. And so he's trying to communicate like, hey, don't just read this as an elder team and then tuck it away. I want you to read it to every single person in your church and and so forth. You know, use this to share with others others that you want to come to the church. But I want this message to be heard because it's meant to be encouragement, it's meant to strengthen you in your faith. Plus he was also answering some of their questions, and so he wanted to make sure that everyone heard that information. And he finishes his letter by saying, "And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you." So today, I want to pray this over you. I want to close with reading this last piece of scripture again, but I'd like all of you to stand with me. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the day when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God who calls you is faithful. He will do this. Do not hide the Lord in a small corner of your being. He wants to be involved in your whole self. We all have ugly parts that we want to hide, but the Lord sees them anyway so invite him into your life dear brothers and sisters pray for us pray for me pray for Jake pray for the elders that we have in our church pray for the leadership that we have instilled pray for the small group leaders pray for those volunteers that are back there teaching your children pray for the small group leaders that are praying or that are working in the student ministry pray for the mentors in your life Pray for the people that God has put around you. Pray for us. Greet all brothers and sisters in Christian love. If you do nothing else, remember that the Lord loved us so much. He's asking us to love others. I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. You guys read this letter. The Bible is the letter that God wrote to us. This is his word. This is our guide. These are the words that he left us to encourage us to strengthen our faith. But it's not meant to be contained in this book alone. We are meant to tuck it in our hearts and share it with other people so that other people can hear this letter from God. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you.
0: Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.